Hey, what up? It's Mark Carter. I'm the pastor of Fierce Church. Welcome to our podcast. I'm so pumped that you're able to join us today. I hope this encourages you, inspires you, strengthens you, gives you hope to keep pressing on. And it's my prayer that this sermon gives you a more expansive view of God's love for you. Enjoy the message. Well, hey guys, we are starting a brand new series today called Racism and the Kingdom. Given the cultural moment that we are in right now, I just really felt like we need to talk more and more about this topic. And I want to start with a nursery rhyme that we're all familiar with. Humpty Dumpty sat on a wall. Humpty Dumpty had a great fall. All the king's horses and all the king's men could not put Humpty together again. So we start out with this cataclysmic moment. Mr. Dumpty goes ahead and falls off and his world is shattered. Everything is wrong. And he's like, I don't know what I'm going to do. I'm going to take it to the White House. I'm going to take it to Congress. I'm going to take it to all the king's horses and all the king's men. And, you know, they were mad about it. Like nobody liked the fact that Mr. Dumpty fell off. And so, you know, they passed a law, the help Mr. Dumpty law. And, you know, people had great intentions. But at the end of the day, it really just didn't do very much. And that's kind of like where we are right now. I mean, you can look around and you can tell uh, everything seems to be unraveling. Everything seems to be falling apart. It doesn't matter who we invite in. It doesn't matter how many powerful people we try to bring alongside. Our society right now is in this breaking, just like Mr. Dumpty. And so what do we do? You know, it reminds me of the time of King Asa, who was king of Jerusalem. Things were in a bad way. They'd lost God's word. No one was really teaching the truth anymore. And everyone, was, everyone was really just doing what was right in their own eyes. And a prophet comes to the king. And this is what he says. He says, the Lord is with you while you are with him. If you seek him, he'll be found by you. But if you forsake him, he will forsake you. For a long time, Israel was without the true God and without a teaching priest and without the law. But when in their distress, they turned to the Lord, the God of Israel, and sought him, he was found by them. In those times, there was no peace to him who went out or to him who came in for great disturbances. Somebody say great disturbances. Great disturbances afflicted all the inhabitants of the lands. They were broken in pieces, just like Mr. Dumpty. Nation was crushed by nation and city by city. God troubled them with every sort of distress. What? God troubled them? I mean, dude, there was, there was no peace in the land. Everybody was wrestling nation against nation. Things were becoming unraveled. And as I'm looking at that. I'm expecting like, oh, you know, like we talked about last week, is that just because the enemy is really coming against everybody? Or people just, you know, just doing stupid stuff and it's just all their fault? And yet the scripture says, God troubled them with every sort of distress. Now, if God is your problem, what are you going to do? Right? It'd be, it'd be one thing if, if people were your problem. Then you could go to God and say, God, I need you to take care of these people. But when God himself is the actual problem, man, your only resort is to go to who? To go to God to try to figure this thing out. It won't matter who you elect if God is the problem. It won't matter what kind of program you come up with if God is the problem. If God is the problem, we've got to go to God to get his answers. And see, what God wants us to do today is he wants us to understand our, our situation theologically. If we don't understand our situation theologically, we don't really understand it at all. And when I say theologically, I mean we want to understand it from the way God sees it. What God says is true about this moment right here and what these 
uh, Jews are experiencing is they're experiencing the passive wrath of God. You've heard of the wrath of God, right? You probably, when I say that phrase, you probably think more of the active wrath of God. This is like the, the times of the Bible that's Sodom and Gomorrah. This is the time when, when David is judged about his sin with Uriah the Hittite and Bathsheba. This is where God leans in in a way that's intensely personal, usually painful. It brings some kind of sobering up. It's actually always done in mercy and love. It's trying to set a bone that is broken, but it's pretty frightening most of the time when God leans in with his active wrath. But there's also his passive wrath. And a great place to read about this is in Romans chapter 1. We'll start in verse 18. I'm going to skip around a little bit. It says, For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who suppress the truth in unrighteousness. That's all of us, by the way. Every one of us, we can be pricked in our conscience and we will suppress what our conscience and the Holy Spirit is trying to tell us in unrighteousness. It's not good. And all kinds of results happen from this, it says in verse 21. For even though they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks. And then in verse 26, it says this three different times in the next few verses. It says, for this reason, God gave them over. God gave them over. Yikes. That is frightening. God gave them over three times. It says this is what happened. And the reason God gives them over to all kinds of strange devices and passions is because they traded the truth of God, we did, traded the truth of God for a lie. We traded in the worship of our beautiful master and creator for the worship, really the diminished, lackluster worship of ourselves. And when we traded that in, we attracted the passive wrath of God. Let me read you what verse 29 through 31 says. This, this is the result of God turning us over. It says, they're full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, maliciousness. They're gossip, slanders, haters of God, insolent, haughty, boastful, inventors of evil, disobedient to parents, foolish, faithless, heartless, and ruthless. Does that sound like anybody you know? That is today, my friends. That is what is going on. And that is the result of the passive wrath of God. See, parents know this. If you've got children that are a little more grown, if you've got a child of age, there can be a point where you, you probably wouldn't do this, but you understand Eventually, you got to kick the kid out of the house. Like they're old enough now, but they're so bucking against your rules that there's tension, there's conflict, there's trying to really be two authorities in the house, and their laws are contradicting. And so, the only loving thing to do is say, We can't have this on peace. I got to remove you from living here. And this is what happens with the passive wrath of God. God says, Hey, man, I release you to go ahead and do life on your own. You just go ahead and find out what happens when you step out from under my protection. Find out the consequences of what happens when you ignore me. And listen, God's not trying to zap us. He's not trying to be like, aha. It's really much more like because we created distance between ourselves and God, the protection is no longer there. So my wife and kids and I, we get shows. You probably have a show or two maybe that you watch. And one of ours right now is Smallville. Okay, so this is the story of Clark Kent, who is, grows up to be Superman, but he's a young man right now. Okay, so he's figuring out all his powers. He doesn't totally understand why he's so strong and can like has x-ray vision and stuff. But what he's got to do is keep it a secret. And so every time he tries to save somebody, he's got to do it kind of covertly so that nobody really knows that he's this growing up Superman. And so what he'll do is he'll wait till somebody gets knocked out. Invariably, almost every episode, somebody gets hit by a rock, so they're knocked out so they don't see him demonstrate his powers. But he'll, he'll huddle over them. You know? And so like when there's a tornado or there's fire or there's pieces of shrapnel flying everywhere, like Clark is over them so he can't be hurt, but he's protecting them. 
Now, if one of those people were to just kind of push him away, be like, Clark, no, man, I'm good. I'm good. You go ahead and stay over there. It's not that Clark doesn't want to protect them. It's that they're fleeing from his protection. And my friends, that's what we do when we say, Lord, no, I don't want you around. I want to ignore your ways. I don't want to give you glory. I don't want to seek you first. I don't want to acknowledge you. Instead, I want to move away from you. When an entire society does that, God says, hey, man, don't get this wrong. It's not that I don't want to protect you. You're fleeing from my protection. And there's some nasty stuff out there that is very likely to hurt you. And this is what you see when you watch the news. You're seeing the passive wrath of God blow up in front of us. When you're starting to see society, you know, just completely decline, when you see morality completely decline, it's because we have legalized and legislated unrighteousness in our land. And because of that, there are results. We are fleeing from the protection of God. Now, what are the causes of this passive wrath? Well, we saw it in the text. The first is idolatry. In the common English version of verse 3, it says, For a long time, the people of Israel did not worship the true God. Instead, they worshiped idols. Now, what idols really are, they're anything or thought or person that we regard as our source. We're saying, this is what makes me okay. This is what is going to save the day. This is what I identify with. And anytime you see things crumbling and shattering, it's because idolatry is increasing. Some of our idols are things like money. They're things like power. They're even things like freedom. Can you believe that? Even freedom can be an idol. Again, often with idols, it's not that they're bad on their own, at least in today's contemporary idols. It is just that they, they're a horrible God. They aren't supposed to serve in that way. Hey, here's some other things that can be a God. The pursuit of some kind of racial healing. As important and as good as that is, if we let that be God, our race can be our God. Somebody else's race can be our God. And God says, hey man, these are all important, but when you begin to bow down to those things and make those your primary agenda, instead of seeking me to bring about healing racially, instead of seeking me to bring about greater equality, greater freedom, you are setting yourself up to be disappointed because at the end of the day, that is just you worshiping an idol. You're looking to that agenda. You're looking to that plan or even that human-based righteousness instead of the God of all righteousness who can actually be the one to empower and make that thing work really well. Even our, you know, different parties, our political parties in our nation, whichever one you choose, I mean, here's what, here's what they really do. They look at all the other parties and they say, see the way we do it? You should do it this way. If everyone would just do it this way, things would get a whole lot better. And what that really is, is that's just self-idolatry. And that's what we're in danger of. Is we're saying, hey, if everyone would just do it like me, dude, no, no, no. Hey, precious, precious. That's a false God. You're a horrible God. People should not do it the way that you do it. Instead, you and I should help everybody to look up and look to Jesus, who is the one who can really help all of us. See, here's what we got to understand. When we're trying to heal national wounds apart from seeking God to heal those national wounds, we're in danger of committing idolatry. Until we can seek God for a race solution, until we can seek God for a lawlessness solution, until we can seek God for a peace solution, we will have no solution because God alone is the true God. He's the one those Jews should have been seeking. He's the, ones that we, he's the one that we need to be seeking. Now, here's the second thing. Did you notice this in the text? Not only did they embrace idolatry, which led to God's passive wrath, but they had no teachers of truth. They had no teachers of truth. 
Verse 3, again, it said, For a long time Israel was without the true God and without a teaching priest and without law. It's not that they didn't have priests. It's just that those priests were ridiculously unhelpful because they weren't actually teaching the truth. This is a real danger. Paul warned Timothy about it, his protege in the New Testament. He said, hey man, watch out. Watch out for people that come in with itching ears and they just want you to tell them whatever feels good, but they don't like it so much when you tell them different things are wrong. And we have to speak the truth in love. We have to do it gently, but we still have to do it. I want to challenge everybody today. I want you to pray for me. I want you to pray for all the pastors and leaders in this country. I want you to pray for yourself that all of us do we would speak the truth. That we would say, no, this is the actual wound and this is the actual medicine that we need. That we would get down to the heart instead of just exterior solutions that are no solution at all. Would you pray for me? Man, I would love it. If, if, if I just knew my people were always praying that I'd be stirred up. I'd never shrink back. I'd never shape things in a way that is not really representing the truth the way that God says it. And the reason we need this is because the truth is the only thing that works. Okay, check it out. If you came to me you're like, Carter, hey man, you know, my life is just falling apart. I don't know what to do. I'd say, all right, man, hey, let's walk together. We're going to open up God's word. All right, we're going to look in this thing and we're going we're gonna to learn it. We're going to do it. And we're going to get to know not only the book of the Lord, but the Lord of the book. And as we do that, God's going to bring order. He's going to bring blessing. Well, let's say that a married couple comes to me and they say to Kenzie and I, they say, hey guys, you know, our marriage, we're just falling apart. We say, all right, hey, Let's open up God's word. Let's, let's hear about it. Let's know this book. Let's do this book. And as we do that, we're going to experience greater order and greater blessing because that's what God does. Man. He just brings things in order. What if another church approaches us and says, hey, man, you know, our church leadership is you know, kind of falling apart. We don't know what to do. We say, all right, guys, hey, let, let's hear the story and let's go to God's word and let's look at it and know it and start to do it. And as we do that, what's going to happen is God's going to bring order and blessing to that church. See the pattern? Okay, so what if now the nation comes? Are you going to throw away that book? That book is the only thing that works. You're going to switch books now? Now that this thing worked in three different scenarios, the only thing that is working, now someone else is going to come on a much larger scale and you're going to leave that book behind? No, baby, what we need is the book. It is the book that is going to rescue us. That's why we need to teach the truth. Because here's the reality, man. The, the more distance we create between us and God, the more chaos there is. And the closer we get to God, it doesn't matter if it's us, doesn't matter if it's our family, doesn't matter if it's society, the more order comes and the more peace and blessing and prosperity comes. All right, so now I'm a teacher of God's word, and believe me, I tremble at that thought. But I want to give you three unpopular things that people need to hear right now. It's from God's word, but I believe they're under-messaged. And so because we need the entirety of God's word, not just a piece of God's word, uh, 2, Corinthians, or 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17 says that the word of God is profitable for, for correction, for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete. I didn't include them all, but it's, you know what I'm saying. That the man of God can be complete and my friends, what the Bible is teaching here is unless we have the entirety of God's word, we're not complete. So we can hear a lot of good messages, but there's some messages that we're underhearing. Let's start with this one. Um, until we can seek a circumcised heart more than a catchy slogan, we will have no solution. Until we can seek a circumcised heart more than a catchy slogan, we'll have no solution. 
A circumcised heart, this is a, a phrase that the Apostle Paul uses. And what he means is the flesh or the compromise or the things in us that love the things of the world that get in the way of just straight up raw obedience. Until we cut that away, nothing is really going to change. Man, we all like the catchy slogans, but until we seek we seek, seek God for a circumcised heart, man, we're not really going to have a, a solution. Here's the second unpopular thing that we need to hear. While there are examples of racism in the Bible, and racism is straight up evil, the weight of Scripture is on searching our own souls for prejudice rather than accusing others. Let me say that again. While there are examples of racism in the Bible, the weight of Scripture, the thrust of Scripture, the thing that Scripture emphasizes the most is for us to be searching our own souls for prejudice rather than accusing others. Prejudice is a real thing in Scripture, but it's not just about skin color. It can be about uh, you know, how much money somebody has. It can be you know, where they are on the economic status scale. It can be about, hey man, you know, what does their health look like? What is their, uh, you know, how do their shoes look? I mean, we can invent all kinds of things where we pre-categorize people. We say, I assign you a different level of value because you're kind of that kind of person. You can, you can make different kinds of people. You know, maybe there's hippies. When you were in high school, there were jocks, there were burnouts. But you assign these different, uh, you know, values to different groups of people. And God says the whole thing is evil. Check it out, James 2. James counsels us. He says, suppose someone comes into your meeting dressed in fancy clothes and expensive jewelry and another comes in who is poor and dressed in dirty clothes. If you give special attention and a good seat to the rich person, but you say to the poor one, hey, you stand over there or else sit at the floor. Well, somebody say, well, well, doesn't this discrimination show that your judgments are guided by evil motives? Dude, all discrimination is wrong. But what he's counseling us is, hey, man, don't go assigning who's being discriminatory before you, assign, you do some self-contemplation. Jesus talked about this in Matthew chapter 7. He's like, hey, man, be real careful when you're going to point out the speck in somebody else's eye. Just watch out because more often than not, even seeing that speck, there's a log in your own eye. And if you don't get that log out, you're going to do damage even if you're slightly correct about the speck that is in their eye. So Jesus always points it back at us. Okay, yeah, well, we'll do some business with me first and make sure you search your own heart. See, this is what we need to be doing. We say, hey, instead of accusing you and accusing everybody of a heart that I can't even see, I'm just going to start with me and Jesus and say, Lord, are there prejudices? Are there, are there people that I'm pre-categorizing and pre-judging that I need to cleanse my own heart of so that I can be helpful on a larger scale. Otherwise, I remain blind and I'm likely to do a little bit more damage. So what are we going to do? We're going to resist judging everybody else as racist and we're going to look at ourselves and say, I bet you there might just be some, whatever it's about, there might be some prejudging that I'm doing and I need to cleanse myself of that. Here's the third unpopular thing that we need to remember. People unintentionally saying something that could be taken as insensitive doesn't mean they're a racist. People unintentionally saying something that could be taken as insensitive doesn't make them a racist. Here's what, here's what we're finding out here as, as this American experiment, as this melting pot. People come from all kinds of different backgrounds. 
And sometimes we're just ignorant to the way certain things are going to sound or appear to one particular culture because that's not how it sounded or appeared to our culture. So as an example, here at the church, we have this tier of leadership called area leaders. These are folks that lead teams of people. And, you know, we give each other nicknames from time to time, right? Like mine is often, you know, Sea Dog or something like that. Uh, when Pastor Armand was here, it was Pastor Fury. Uh, once upon a time, we used to call Pastor Brandon Beardy. Uh, unfortunately, you can still do it, but it makes a little less sense. But, but anyway, a group of us were just talking and, you know, kind of goofing around and throwing out nicknames for one another. Well, one gal told this other guy, hey, here's your nickname. And it was a super, I would just call it a super white name, normal white name. The dude wasn't white though. And so another guy pulled me aside later and said, hey man, I don't know, you you might want to notice this, but that might've made him feel undervalued because that's just like a shortcut name instead of valuing his culture. And I'll be honest, man, I didn't even, I, I never even thought about it. Now, I know this other leader wasn't trying to be discriminatory, wasn't trying to be racist. They just didn't understand his particular background and how that would sound. So, hey, church, 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 church of Jesus who believes in grace, can we just be gracious? Can we just say, I'm going to assume, I'm going to assume ahead of time that they're not a racist. Rather, they might just be ignorant of certain things because feedback is our friend's. Hey, man, we give feedback all the time. Feedback is something we really value. So if I can't give you feedback or you can't give me feedback about just some racial insensitivity that I really didn't know about, man, we're not going to get anywhere. We're never going to be able to lean in as friends and learn from one another if there's not a trust that I just trust you to give me feedback without thinking that I'm some, you know, some kind of a hypocrite or racist because I didn't understand that thing. We see this in other areas, too. Often we, when we've got a, a man, a gentleman who's being raised up into leadership, a few times... You know, men don't always know how to be gentle and delicate as they're a little more gentle or delicate as they're ministering to a woman. And it can come off as kind of like even frightening sometimes. And so at different times, we just have to pull people apart and be like, hey, man, I know you don't mean this. It's not that you're trying to be sexist. You just haven't learned how to do this yet. And my friends, there's just there is there's there's space to learn. Okay, we don't know everything about one another. And so we need to love one another enough to give honest feedback. This is how that sounded, even though that's not how you might have meant it. So we can learn and grow. And I hope somebody says amen. I hope by now you are commenting. I hope by now you are sharing this somewhere because somebody needs to hear it. All right, let's keep going. Now, what can be done about this? Well, we have a few options. Number one is Jesus comes back. Man, that's my vote. I hope that happens tonight. I hope that is just, that's how we're going to solve all this thing. Jesus just comes back. Now, I got to say, for me, honestly, that's not a great play because for 2,000 years, he hasn't yet. And it's not like there hasn't been tensions or pandemics before. So I can't wait. I hope it's tonight. But likely, we're going to wake up tomorrow morning and it will not have happened. And so there's number two. Number two is we continue down this path of destruction that we're on. Now, I got to say, man, six months ago, I didn't know it could get this bad. So I'm a little bit afraid to keep walking and just pretend nothing's going wrong. I'm afraid of what's going to happen in six months, much less six years. Or the third option is we can seek God and he can be found by us. Verse four said, but in their distress, they turned to the Lord God of Israel and they sought him and he let them find him. They sought him. You ever been so hungry you seek it out? Are we, are we hungry enough yet? 
Are we desirous enough yet? Are you panting for him yet? Like the deer pants for the water. You know, when I was a kid, um, my, my mom and my dad, when I would not eat my beans at the dinner table or something like that, some kind of vegetable, um, they'd be like, hey, man, that's okay. Here's the deal. It'll be here all night and into the tomorrow morning. So when you get hungry enough, you, don't need, you can't have a bowl of cereal. You can't have any dessert. When you get hungry enough, you're going to go ahead and eat these anyway. Are we hungry enough yet? Is it bad enough yet that we're just going to fall on our knees and say, oh, God, we appreciate human solutions, but unless you anoint them, ain't nothing going to work. I don't know where help is coming from. I know it ain't coming from Air Force One. And I support whatever president is in office. I believe just as a Christian, I'm always supposed to support my commander in chief. But I know the solution is not really coming through man. It may come through man, but it's going to be God, however that works. Did you notice the second part of that verse? Verse 4 said, And they sought him, and he let them find him. He let them find him. When my kids were really little, we would play hide and seek. And I'll be honest with you, I could hide in such a way that they were never going to find me. Okay, at that age, they were pretty easy to outwit. It's not always the case that way anymore. But at that age, it was pretty easy. And so I'd hide someplace, you know, and they'd go looking around the house trying to find dad. And I knew that they weren't going to find me. And eventually their distress starts to kick up, just gets elevated a little bit. And I can tell they're about to get discouraged. And so I just make a little sound like, or, or do something. I kick something or, or whatever, just to help them, let them find me, if that makes sense. And see, God wants to know that we're earnest, my friends. He wants to know that we're serious. God knows that he's the most valuable thing in the universe. And he knows that we humans tend to undervalue that which is easily acquired. And so he says, dude, I'm not going to keep you away. If you're earnestly seeking for me, then I know you think that I'm really the valuable solution and you're going to find me. If you'll just step into it, if you'll just go after it. And so the question we need to ask, my friends, is are we really seeking him earnestly? Are we ready to do that? Because here's what we know. We are not going to be able to answer our physical problems until we look for spiritual answers from our king. But we got to look. And so I don't know how this is hitting you today. I don't know where you need to start. But maybe for you, you've never really looked. You've never really sought out the attractiveness of Jesus for yourself. You've heard about, you know, what other people say and and how other people roll. And you've, you've had religion your whole life or whatever. But you've never gone to Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John in the Bible in the New Testament, and just said, I need to understand Jesus for myself. Man, that would be seeking him. That would be earnest seeking. Maybe for you, you need to speak the truth in love. You know, we, we all do one of those really well sometimes, but um, maybe for you, you, you love really well, but you're not so good at speaking the truth. Maybe you need to step on the gas with the truth part. Still need to be loving, but you need to speak the truth. Others of us, man, you can lay some truth down, but dude, you're such a jerk when you do it um, that maybe you need to seek a little harder God's love and God's generosity to people. Maybe for some of us, we've been convicted today. And what we need to do is repent because we've had idols that we've been looking toward. Or maybe we've been accusing a lot of other people, but we haven't taken any time to do some soul searching. So let me just ask you the question. If we're gonna seek God, what are you gonna do this week? Maybe there's something that you could do that you haven't done in a long time. Maybe it's fasting. You say, Lord, I need to get something a little fiercer into my life in terms of seeking you because my friends, it's only as they sought him that he let them find him. Let's bow our heads in prayer. Hey Lord, I just want to thank you for the goodness of your word and that you direct us out of your heart of love. 
Hey, God, we are so done experiencing the consequences of ignoring you, of experiencing your, your passive wrath. And so we just ask for your mercy. We ask for your forgiveness. We pray that you would help us earnestly seek you, whatever that looks like in our personal life. Hey, God, would you help us to do our own soul reflecting so that we are better enabled to be helpful to others? May your church shine bright right now, Jesus. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you so much for joining us. Special thanks to those of you who give generously to support this ministry. It's because of you that this is possible. You can click on the link in the description to give now or visit fierce.church for more information. If you enjoyed this, why not subscribe, share it with your friends, click on the share button and take a screenshot and then share it on social media or your social stories. Hey, whatever challenges you're facing, I know you can make it. Don't give up. Hang on to Jesus. He won't let go of you. Thanks for listening.